Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I am Bradley and joining me this week is someone who decided that they was going to bet me, bet me that I could not prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that time is not a linear thing. It's Stu. How are you doing, Stu? Oh yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think the concept of infinity is in there somewhere as well. <laughs> so... I've got this proved, right? This, this 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 would stand up in a court of law, okay? Time is not linear. So, I am 40 years old, okay? Coming out at the end of this year, in my 40th year of living, is Halo Infinite. When I was born, Donkey Kong came out for the very first time in 1981. Where, on that scale, does Halo originate? Is it closer... To Halo Infinite, or is it closer to Donkey Kong? Donkey Kong. No, well, no. Slap bang in the middle. We have exactly the same amount of time has passed between Donkey Kong and Halo and Halo and Halo Infinite. That's just not right. That's insane. Not right at all, because Donkey Kong was clearly a retro game. It was okay to get ROMs and stuff of back in 2001. You can't get Halo as a ROM. In 2021, so how is the same time passed? Yeah. So, what I actually think, simulation theory, better than Elon Musk simulation theory, we do live in a simulation. Someone's playing the simulation. And you know, sometimes like you just let the game like run through because everything's going smoothly and then there's a disaster and you've got, oh, I better hit the space bar so I pause it and then go just to playing it at normal speed so I can sort stuff out. Oh, bugger, sorry. There's somebody at the door. Bear with me one. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's okay. I was meant to say before we started recording, gone down to see a family, so if the door goes, I have to get it. That's fine. I'm going to use that. Okay. So, just to join in. See, this is what happens. His door's gone. I think that's the controller of the game, of the simulation. Realised we were becoming sentient and just went and interrupted it. And I've lost my chain of thought because he's reprogrammed me. (laughs) Is that what happens, Joe, do you reckon? Yes. Or have I spent too much time on my own? No, I think that's absolutely what happened. I got to the door and it wasn't anybody there. Mm. It's just like a vague shape in the wind, like Elon Musk. That was it. (laughs) I don't think Elon Musk is the controller. Really? I don't know what he is. I think he he could be. No, he's no, there's something. No, you wouldn't make yourself obvious. You wouldn't make yourself stand out. That's true. And he he certainly does that. Mm-hmm. For all the wrong reasons. Yes. Do you, know, some, do you know what else sometimes stands out? But for all the right reasons, Stu. I have no idea. Go on, tell me. It'll be video games. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to segue, a double segue this week, because I dread to think what you've been playing this week. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That physically hurt. But <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not starting with the one that you alluded to. Uh, because it'll enc- encompass everything. But um, yeah, I've also been playing. So I played a load of UN Squadron that we were talking about last week. Yeah. And still playing it. It's so addictive. It's unbelievable. But I wanted to try out some stuff on my Dreamcast because I've I've got it all set up with, uh, you know, ROMs. Haha. Like we were talking about before. And um, this is all stuff that I've, I've bought. Not that anybody cares. But other than stuff that wasn't ever available. And... That's a kind of 
neat way of leading towards saying that I'm playing a game called Dolphin Blue. Now, it's a kind of game that you would never, ever work out what genre it was from the title. Uh, it sounds like a, a a version of Echo the Dolphin that some guy will offer you on DVD in a pub in Liverpool. Exactly. It sounds like <laughs> mucky mucky aquatic stuff <laughs> yeah and if you had to say it was a game you'd probably go is it one of those weird hentai things but no it is not or at least that's what i'm telling the police it's a it's it's basically metal slug but you occasionally ride a dolphin instead of a tank I mean, I'm sold. Whatever that is, I'm sold. I know. I know, right? (laughs) Um, So what happened, well, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but what happened a couple of years ago was people, you know, modders, homebrewers, realised that a Thomas Wave games that was a thing back in the sort of early, mid-2000s, they realised that they could be ported to the Dreamcast really easily because if you you may remember you may not but the dreamcast was sort of based on naomi hardware which was a um an arcade format yeah or vice versa and the thomas wave came after it and it was supposedly much more powerful and blah 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 but actually no it's really easy to to get them to work on onto the uh, dreamcast and there's a bunch of games i think there's probably about 20 in total there was about five or six of those I was interested in, so I made sure I got them. And one of them was Dolphin Blue. And it's by Sammy, so it's obviously, you know, got a good pedigree there. And mm-hmm. it's got that typical Dreamcast thing of 3D backgrounds and 2D sprites that you know, animated. So it looks a little bit like Strider 2, which is one of my favourite games. And, yeah, it's <laughs> it's very Metal Slug. It's not as good as Metal Slug, but then what is? Mm-hmm. And also, I'm hitting a lot of slowdown. I'll have to have a go on my PCs. But anyway, it's what you'd expect, really, most of the time. Um, there's a there's a section... I see I'm going to really go into the, the fine detail. There's a section in Shinobi 3, right? On the Mega Drive. Yeah. Where you are on a jet ski, because it was just a bonkers game. A ninja on a jet ski. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely was a, one of those, yeah. Oh, totally, yeah. <laughs> And you kind of moved backwards and forwards and where you were on the screen, you know, blah, 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 and you jumped. And it was very much trying to do its own sort of physics thing with this. Dolphin Blue controls exactly like that section of that game from 1995. It, the, the whole Dolphin bits are like that. And that's fine. They're not the most exciting bits. There's regular run and gun bits when you're on, on foot, and there's also swimming bits when you and the dolphin are underwater. And the fact that it's got those three is a bit like Metal Slug in that it just mixes things up a little bit. So it doesn't alter the game massively, but it just adds a little bit of a tweak in the way that you move and how you shoot and which weapons work best uh, and stuff like that. And it's very, very, very simplistic. It's It's more simple even than Metal Slug. You know, it's just... The weapons aren't as varied. There's no real reason to not pick up a pickup, you know, and uh, you've just got to get the one, the next one in turn, and, and there's no real strategy other than just dodge and shoot. But it looks pretty, and if you're into that kind of run and gun, uh, it's, it's good fun. So, yeah, it's called Dolphin Blue, and, uh, yeah, after, like, 15, 20 years, I finally got to play it, and it's pretty good. So, yeah, I've just had a look at some images for it, and, yeah, I'm intrigued at that one. So, in terms of emulation now, 
of what we've got out there. You know, you can do it on PC, you can do it on your your Vita, your Switch, even if you if you've got the right sort of Switch, Pandora boxes, Raspberry Pis. What will it work on? So it will work on anything, any dream. Uh, as far as I'm aware, any Dreamcast emulator, which is great um, because mm. you know there's some stuff still like some Sega model. Two and Model Three, I think, games that you need a very specific emulator for, and there's Mame, which only goes up to a certain age, and blah blah blah. But yeah, no, it'll just work on anything, uh, and I think um, I've tested it with Redream, uh, which is the premier emulator really for the Dreamcast, and yeah, yeah, it works perfectly with that. So if you want to play it and you don't have a Dreamcast, then you can. There are ways, very many ways. Excellent. Yeah, and I might I might give that a go. I might give that a go. Inspired by you over the past couple of weeks talking about PS1-esque looking games. First game I've been playing is a little game called Bonfire Peaks, oh. which is a puzzle game of sorts, but it's a puzzle adventure game. And it's actually it's a voxel graphics rather than PS one inspired, but it's in being voxel it does look very PS one esque. Yeah, um, but it's and it's a semi isometric type thing. It's not fully isometric. You zoom in and out. You can adjust the camera angle slightly, but it looks like it's based on an isometric voxel PS one esque graphics. Um, looks beautiful. Looks absolutely beautiful. And essentially, again, story, gone out my mind, the story. I, I'm getting really bad of late with remembering what stories are all about. But you play this character and he, like, he burns his belongings and then he goes through this adventure for reasons. And this is why I don't review stuff properly anymore. Because, yeah, reasons, why not? But what you've essentially got is these little individual, most dioramic style areas that you do your puzzles in. And you move through an over an overworld of sorts that again it all looks the same to then go into these puzzles and you kind of have to burn your belongings in each in each in each level and the, it progresses as you go and there's nice little surprises so I'm not going to ruin any of those little surprises or mechanical twists and stuff like that that go with it but basically it's a very deliberate puzzle game and this is what I really like about it so you essentially from the start you have to use different blocks to make your way to a fire to burn your belongings. And that, that's how you complete the level. And it's very deliberate in terms of you can't brute force your way through. You need to really think about where you're placing blocks. And it's very easy to put a block in somewhere that will mean you've completely screwed up and you need to start that level again. So it's one of those sort of puzzle games. And I'm trying to think of something it reminds me of and I can't it reminds me of something or maybe a, a few different things but I can't quite put my finger on what it actually is um, aesthetically it, it's very close to I think because of the angle and the boxes all I'm getting is like Karushi vibes as well even though it's nothing like Karushi but that's the thing that sort of like really stands out to me um but it's a lot more deliberate, really slow pace. There's no rush into it. You can take your time and everything. And I meant to talk about this last week. And I just completely forgot about it. And it's yeah, just a really intriguing puzzle adventure game that really stood out to me, really unique. I'm playing it on Switch. Um, it's available on pretty much everything, I believe. But 
yeah, definitely one I would suggest if you get a chance. Definitely giving it a look if you like slow-paced puzzle games. Yeah, I mean, visually it looks like The Tourist a little bit. You know, like, do you remember that one from a couple of years back? Yeah, but The Tourist looked like modern voxels. This is very much PS1 retro voxels, I would say. Yeah, yeah, fair play. I'm with you. This sort of aesthetic, I hope this becomes, over the next couple of years... The next big thing, you know, the next fad of game of like retro game revivals, because visually I think it looks amazing. I think the original Metal Gear Solid on the PS1 is still one of the best looking Metal Gear Solid games because it keeps that focus in that one sort of like layout. So it's like that again, that almost top down way of doing it. And it works within those confines, whereas I think all later ones have gone above and beyond what they needed to do. And the restriction of the PS1 stuff, that era, worked so well. And Bonfire Peaks is just another great example of that. Yeah, what it was like in the art world. It, his, art historians are going to start screaming at us now if there are any in the audience, which is probably quite unlikely. But to my understanding, it's like they kind of like perfected realism by the Renaissance. And then after the Renaissance, after very many years, you're like, oh, well, we've done all the perfect stuff. Let's do abstract. And yeah, it's kind of like that. It's like we've we've kind of got to the point where we can do completely realistic graphics pretty much if we want. So why not look to the past and make abstract shapes that are lovely? Because, yeah, I agree with you, Metal Gear Solid has a really fantastic look about it. Like, you go back to it and you think, oh, God, my eyes are going to bleed. But actually, it's got that... It's re- aged so well. Yeah, yeah. It's It's got... You know, you want it as a, a higher resolution, obviously. You know? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you don't want it at, like, 240p. But, yeah, it, it looks absolutely great because it's it, it can only be itself. It can't be anything else. And this one looks like it's using Tilt Shift, which uh, most notably was used on the, that Zelda game on the... Switch, what's it called? <laughs> the most... uh, Link's Awakening. That's the one, Link's Awakening. Yes. Yeah, Tilt Shift. Yeah, it's one of the most famous Zelda games ever made, yeah, you know. Oh, no, God. No. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> Just, I've got a real blank spot with Zelda games. I don't oh, know why. We're, we're, we're serious video game commentators. Oh, here. obviously, like doing my research <laughs> and everything. Uh, yeah, no, it's got it's got that Tilt Shift effect, which is really yeah. a really good way of look, making something look both realistic and unrealistic and toy-like it, it's a great yeah. thing to do in a visual medium like games because it, it really brings you into it so yeah it, it looks good actually you mentioned the tilt shift effect um and obviously you mentioned the tourist earlier the one thing i found about the tourist is i thought they overdone the tilt shift effect on the tourist and it really bothered me um not in a way of oh my god i hate this game but it was just one of those things that just bothered me about it i went it's just it's just too much yeah whereas this they're starting to like that they've nailed how much tilt tilt shift effect there is it's just right nice and it's i say it's in its basicness it looks beautiful and I, I believe this is under the same publishing arm as like a monsters expedition and cosmic express that were both really good games as well so yeah honestly if you like those sort of puzzle games you like deliberate difficult adventure puzzle games give this a go and let's hope the uh we, we, we've perfected realism realism's boring let's have fun with what our games look like absolutely yeah i'm happy with that i'll buy into that no problem although uh <laughs> Um, Forza Horizon 5 is coming out soon and uh, I can I can live with simulations or racing games looking realistic because there's already a lot of why am I going off on this tangent? 
<laughs> Why not? Because Forza Fault, Fault, Motorsport 5, I've seen uh, Jeff Gerstmann playing it and... Oh. Yeah, no, uh, not very good. It's Well, it is. That's the thing. But it's it to me, I'm looking at it and it's... I mean, I've not played it, so I can't do it from a playing point of view, but I'm looking at it going and... It's right, right. Forza Horizon again. Yeah, uh. yeah. What's the point, kind of thing? Yeah, looks All lovely. Mexico, Me- yeah, Mexico looks lovely. Um, also, by the way, really, really good to see Mexico being used in a positive light in a video game. Yes, definitely, definitely. Uh, it's really funny. I was, I can't remember what it was now because that's the theme of the episode. I don't remember anything. Yeah, but I was watching something the other day, American thing, and they were criticising Mexico. I think directly or South America. Yeah, and it's one of those blind spots in culture where it's still okay, particularly in America, to like be racist against people from South America. And I was like, oh, God, that really hurts. Yeah, that's a really nasty thing to say. And it's just brushed off. It's still, like, totally okay to do it. Uh, So, yeah, it's good to see that there's a positive representation of of Mexico. Yeah, I I think we'll probably go... Actually, I think in a couple of weeks we'll look at um, a bit of a look at some of the uh, racing and driving games that are out and about because you've got the the uber-realistics looking ones mixed with i think some absolutely brilliant retro revival style games as in sort of like art of rally um circuit superstars and things like that and i think that's a much wider discussion to have in a couple of episodes time yeah fair play i will just very very briefly say the reason why i don't mind realism in racing games is because a they're kind of in the modern world they've got this very sort of x games thing around them where they've got you know fireworks uh, in the real world i mean yeah fireworks and flags and you know all of this pageantry that makes it look unreal anyway yeah so you can copy that and be realistic and it still looks fantastical so that's one yes. and two um I, the specific detail on the road and the rain and the other weather effects can give you information. So the more realistic it is, the better. So just that's just to say, yeah, I, I absolutely love abstract games. Racing games is one of the areas where I'm happy for there to be realism. Yes, so yeah, I'm not dismissing. I'm not dismissing those one either because I, I I do like them. Apart from Dirt Five, of course, because that's just boring and dull and <laughs> yeah how just how did they mess that up so badly really but we're know. not yeah. no we're not spending another half hour on dirt five no <laughs> dirt five has had much more airtime than it needs on this podcast for some bizarre reason i know that was just bizarre completely weird yeah but uh there you go so what's next Stu? well this week i thought you know it's time to play and then judge dread oh I see what i did there Oh, nice. And you thought mine was painful. I know, I know. I I must have wounded your soul, that one. (laughs) But yeah, I've got Metroid Dread. And yeah, no, so I went into this like, you know, definitely buying it because, I I mean, it's one of those kind of franchises that because it's got a really long history and lots of prestige, you get a lot of armchair commentators, which is of course not me, Go, you know, having an opinion on it and going and gatekeeping for you whether it's a proper Metroid game or whether it's a Metroidvania or whether it's as good as Super or whether it's like Prime with its locations and all of this stuff. And I'm kind of like, when every time somebody mentions one of the games in the series, I'm like, yeah, I really like that. And then they go, oh yeah, but that's considered not very good. And I'm like, yeah, I like that one as well. 
you know and there's this like oh is metroid fusion any good yeah it's great oh you know the samus returns is that yeah i really enjoyed it so yeah in a way i'm a terrible person for reviewing metroid dread but in a way i'm a really good person to review it because i like them all and i think they've all got positives even other m which has some absolutely dreadful design choices in it but the core of the game is all right anyway all that being said so i went into it kind of like okay i like all the games that doesn't mean i'm gonna necessarily like this it might be a bit crap and i you know i didn't really have any bias towards it and i hadn't really watched many videos because you don't want to spoil you know metroid games for yourself at all because explorations the entire point so went into it with open eyes and the first sort of hour hour and a half is fine you know it's kind of like oh yeah you know it's okay and uh it's building up your powers and you're like right well it's one of those games you can't make any judgment really on anything like design or the interactions or the way the environments are mapped out or the sound or anything until you kind of start getting a few more bits of the puzzle and the bits of the puzzle are the abilities. And after a certain boss, which is not that long in, as I say, an hour to an hour and a half, it goes, right, okay, training wheels are off, you've got these sets of kit, off you go, and the game just goes whoosh and just completely opens up in terms of its quality, its scope, and its style, and it turns into a really amazing adventure game. And, you know people will go back and forth all all over it you know because they do with metroid stuff but it's just a really really excellent game it's got a massive sense of presence it's you it uses the width of the of the screen that 16 to 9 ratio it uses it really really well and the the abilities that you get have enough variety from previous games but great callbacks and it does that thing of you know there are things that are available to you and things that aren't and things that become unlockable and and aren't and there are some areas that are surprisingly low like low tech so you think oh i'm really going to need to have such and such an ability to do something in this and then you actually realize ah no i've already got the tool set to do that but i hadn't you know manipulated samus in that way before so i just the more and more I played it, the more and more impressed I became. And I'm, I'm about, ooh, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the way through. Like, I'm way through it. I think I've opened up, you know, loads of the map. And um, so far, it's it's right. I mean, I won't say it's my game of the year so far because it's early days. But it's definitely, definitely going to be in the running. Yeah, I've I've got this too. And I feel I'm like I'm about to sort of go against what you've just said, but honestly, I'm not. I'm not at all. <laughs> um, I've only played a, probably about half a half of it so far because I've been, we'll come to that, why I've only played half hour of this in a little while. It'll become very obvious. But I've only played about half hour and I've put it to the side because I want to give it my full attention. It's, even from the opening half an hour, it's a Metroid-ass Metroid game. Yeah that's what it is and i've been i've checked some of the reaction online to it and there's there's people sort of like going like comparing it to dark souls like people like younger people comparing it to dark souls and saying it's been inspired by dark souls and it's like without irony of going well well 
no, Dark Souls is essentially a 3D Metroid, but, you know, whatever. If you want to go down that route, it's fine. Um, and it's, it's yeah, it's a Metroid game. Um, I don't know who made the decision not to modernise it completely, but whoever made that decision, give them that, that person a raise. They deserve it because they could have easily fallen into the trap of making Metroid Dread a new user-friendly game that took out some of the what the, the, the harsher elements of the original Metroids and tried to make it easier for people to get to on board with. They've not done that. It's Metroid as it should be. And even in the first half hour, I can sense that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I was going to, if you'd played a lot of it or a fair bit of it, I was going to do a big spoiler section of talking about the game and like pre-warn everyone and you know go into the nitty-gritty but we'll save that for you know weeks or months down the line but um yes without spoiling anything it what it does is as you go through it it does chip some of the rougher edges off why there is some controversy still where there shouldn't really be so you've got people who are really you know playing it and they've not really played metroid games and they're like you hit these enemies and the game gets too hard. And then you've got people who go, I've played all the old ones, and the traversal and the saving and the way things are hidden from you are not like the old ones. And it's Mm. like, yeah, but what it's done is it's kind of blended the best of both. So there are elements of what's displayed, you know, how things are displayed on screen, how you're signposted, where saves are placed things like that, yeah. that are still right there in the spirit of Metroid, but they knock some of the harsher edges off them. Yeah. Because they realise... Because it's really hard in Metroid. It's like, how much do you remove of the jank from the past that is inherent to all old games because they were just designed that way with whilst retaining the spirit of them? And I think it, it strikes an excellent balance of just chipping off the the stuff that really isn't necessary anymore and yeah it just it's it's it just does that really really well but on the difficulty side yeah no the bosses aren't hard if you compare them to the old bosses they are really not that hard and it, the thing with i haven't played much of the dark souls games or really any of them but yeah i know enough of how difficult the regular enemies were to say it's nowhere near that hard because i i remember like even standard enemies in those games have like really high health and like i played sekiro and god i i spent like three or four hours trying to beat some bosses some of them i made scraped through and some that i just gave up on you know yeah and either so i know i think what No, that's fine. I think what Metroid does is something that I think Bloodborne done really well, where the first time you encounter any kind of enemy, you're like, ah, you know, how how do I do it? And then once you've worked out and something clicks, like you actually breeze through or you realise you can actually ignore quite a lot of the enemies to get through to sort of like bosses. You can kind of do that in Metroid. And I think you've always been able to do that in Metroid, personally. And the early part of this seems to do that for me, where I looked at it and went, oh, oh, what's this going to be like? Clicked with whatever, I get rid of it. Like, there's flying bat things, whatever they are that come at you. Um, it was like, yeah. they hit me a few times. I was like, oh, this is really... And then I worked out, oh, I'll just... There you go. 
swat them away, done. Now I can get through those really easily. I think that's what it shares with Bloodborne. Obviously, Bloodborne, what it does, and other Dark Souls, they up that somewhat to make it more, I think, artificially difficult. Um, but they, they, they still borrow that from Metroid. Um, the one thing I was worried about, and I've noticed with previous Metroids, is the checkpointing in older Metroids weren't the best. The checkpointing in this one that I've noticed is really good. I've come up against what I would say is my first quick time event, and I died a few times, and it sticks you back just outside the door you need to go in to trigger that. Um, so you're only going back 20, 30 seconds at most rather than having to go all the way back from like an earlier save point or anything like that. Um, and I really like that because it allowed me to retry it three, four times before working out what I had to do and not going, oh, I've got to go through all that again. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really good checkpointing on it. Um, but still, accessibility, if you don't, if you want the save points to make the original game as it is, have it, but turn on accessibility for any time saving. It is important for people who need it. Yeah, no, I agree. No, yeah, that's what I was alluding to about the checkpoints before. Yeah, they're very, very well placed. Yeah. That's one of the things that you're going to get sort of purists, if they might call themselves that, bemoaning, but that's ridiculous because if you think about it, it's kind of that that restriction of only having certain save points was 30% a design choice and 70% a technical limitation of a yep. get of the games and it's kind of like and, it, and yeah they built that into the play but you don't need it you don't need to go oh god I've got to run back through several corridors shoot these doors to open them you know and then uh, that's literally all I'm doing it take me 30 seconds to get back to this boss or a minute or more you know yeah and knocking those edges off it was a really good choice and I think yeah. it also, I think this is subtle and I'd have to go back to to the specific games, but there was a, you know, a lot of crossover, obviously, because of the Metroidvania title with Castlevanias from Symphony of the Night onwards. But what I think they've done well here as well, and, they, you know, this has been a more recent Metroid trend, but they've, they've kind of, they've reduced the number of knockbacks characters yeah so there's some that cause knockback but they tend to be higher level enemies whereas in symphony of the night and some of the other ones you got knocked back off everything it did make some corridors totally boring because it was just frustrating until you were really high level and even then you're like high level it doesn't do any damage to you but it still knocks you back and it ruins the flow they've got that right as well yeah so it's like knockback is a feature of powerful or you know awkward enemies it's not just a standard feature yeah so yeah they for me it's the only game mercury steam have ever done that's got it all right got it all correct and it it kind of it flows properly it's probably because of a lot of nintendo influence but you can still feel their footprint on it as well They, they they do some brilliant design things like samus's um uh, like her appearance, her her movement, it, it erases a lot of the problems from like other M and some of the influence from that. So you know she feels cool again, and she feels tough, and you know indomit- indomitable, and yeah. just that physical presence of her, non-sexualized, very strong, but you know afraid when she you know 
meets something that's much more powerful than she is and expressed in her body language. That's stuff that's been done really, really, really well in this. Yeah, I can't wait to see more of that. Um, it's, it's what, what I found is the general reaction to this overall. It, it, it strikes me of um, people like have gone, oh, this is a great, this is the best Metroidvania. And we've done it with like Dead Cells and things like that guy and um, Hollow Knight. Oh, these are the best. These are the standouts. And now, like, Metroid's come back and has gone, you right? Used to do this. Do you want to see what I'm like? And all the young whippersnappers. It's like you're on a five-a-side pitch. You've got a bunch of, like, teenage on a five-a-side pitch. And they're, like, they think they're the best feeling. And then these these old guys turn up. And they're like, who are you? And it's like, it's Kenny Dalgleishy and Rush Yad Mulby, Bruce Grobelar and Alan Hansen turning up for a five-a-side game. Going, <laughs> and they're going, we'll show you how it's done, lads. We'll just show you how, how to do it properly. Um, and that's what Metroid seems to be doing. It seems to come back and everyone's gone, oh, yeah, that's how a good Metroid game should be. <laughs> yeah, I really hope so, yeah. Yeah, it deserves it. My takeaway from this is that it's the formula moved on properly in in the way that it should from yeah. Metroid Prime, which was the last game that, you know, really set a new benchmark for the series. And to yeah. to do that in 2D, you know, ostensibly 2D, yeah, just really, really good thing, especially when it's not a first-party Nintendo title. So, yeah, kudos for that. Yeah. And it's going to be a sweet irony that this wraps up the Metroid arc, that side of it, and people are now going to clamour for more of it. So it'll be interesting to see what they do next. Yes. For me, Prime's a completely different arm in the Metroid series. And, yeah, they, they, they've said this was to complete it all because it's 20 years in the making. Yeah. I reckon we'll see something else in a couple of years in that same series. Yes, yeah. I um, just to, I really, just as a sidebar, really loved Metroid Prime 3, Corruption. I just, I thought it was a fantastic game. And I think it got a lot of, I got, got a lot of hassle because A, some people didn't like the Wii controls, a.k.a. Waggle. And B, yeah. I think they brought out too many of that game in too short a space of time. And that created burnout, you know. And especially 2. I think 2 came out, oh, I want to say like 18 months or 2 years after Metroid Prime. And that, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was really short and it showed. It's like really similar game, mm. you know. And it was too soon. And that burnt people out a little bit on the 3D franchise. But go back now, play Metroid Prime 3 if you've got the wherewithal. Because it's, the, it's controls very... They presage VR so much. It's like, I bet it's a real touchstone for a lot of VR developers because it's got so much of that sort of stuff in it. Really worth a revisit if you've got the control to do it. Yeah, I also reckon if you want to play it, wait till about March, April next year when they when they end that. In the new year, they will announce the Metroid Prime trilogy along with a tentative release date for Metroid Prime 4. That That's happening, I reckon. Uh, do you think that you'll be able to? I mean, did you play Metroid Prime Three with the with the? No, no I no. played one and two. Yeah, I don't know if they could do it with the Joy Cons just because of the button layouts. I just don't think it would work. Um, I think they'd really struggle. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But, well, I think um, they'll probably yeah, do it anyway. Because yeah, yeah they managed to make Skyward Sword apparently a good game. So you know. Well, yeah, there you go. Good point. Yes. So there you go. I could carry on talking about it, which just shows how much I love it. <laughs> but I will yes. stop there. Well, I've been playing a game, 
another game and it's still not the game yet but i've been playing another game that's going to be full of similes and metaphors and things like that as we talk about it i've been playing nickelodeon all-stars brawl um, (laughs) on the switch now you laugh you laugh oh yes and Um, i probably will again but go on it's bloody good there you go i'm just gonna come straight out and say it is bloody good so the only thing i can say is you know sometimes you go into um home bargains or or a b&m or 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 poundland or something like that and you see like what looks like an off-brand bar of chocolate or box of cereal and you're like well that's clearly a fake whatever this is but for whatever inexplicable reason it's got a recognizable mascot sponsorship to it at the same time right um, and instead of costing three quid, it costs like 79p. You get it and you go, it's oh, actually not bad. Yeah. I was expecting this to taste like absolute crap, but it's not bad at all. Well, that's Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl. <laughs> Crappy cereal. Yeah, but that you actually like. So let me clarify a little bit. Pick this up because I thought my daughter might like it, Nickelodeon characters, and you know, it's it's something different. And I got it on the Switch because that's what she mainly plays on. And there's my only mistake, by the way, is getting it on the Switch, and I will come to why in a moment. But basically, it's a love letter to Nickelodeon. An absolute love letter to Nickelodeon. So you've got characters that go back from like Ren and Stimpy. You've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, SpongeBob SquarePants, Wild Thornberrys, Hey Arnold, Rugrats, to more modern ones that I haven't got a clue who they are. No, Edith, not Teen Titans, because that's Cartoon Network. Um, It's got all of those like old and new Nickelodeon characters in there. All lovingly recreated and basically it's put into a Smash clone. And it's a really, really good Smash clone. It plays closer to, I would say, I want to say Brawl, Super Smash Bros. Brawl, in terms of uh, in terms of how it feels. And honestly, it is really, really good. Um, it's missing some characters in it, so there's no Rocco in it, which is a shame um, from uh, Rocco's Modern Lives. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I understood that reference. Well done. Well done there. That's a Guns in the Galaxies reference, isn't it? Guardians in the Galaxies. What? What? <laughs> what is a Guardian? There you go. We're talking about off-brand. That sounds like some like dodgy, like sort of off-brand budget straight to DVD thing. Guardians in the Galaxies. <laughs> I am Grout. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the plumber. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh. I've lost my chain of thought now. But honestly, the characters, I mean, it's got one of the modern ones. I've only heard it, I heard about this series because, like, my, um, like, Edith watched it, but, like, The Loud House, they've got, like, Lincoln from The Loud House in it. But he can fight, like, Michelangelo from the, from the original Turtles, I think. It might not be the original Turtles. I haven't used any of the Turtles yet, but are real monsters and stuff like that. But it's just, like, just all of them. They're not, but it's on a budget, this game. So there's no voice acting for whatever reason. But it plays like there's online multiplayer, which is crap. Don't do the online. Play it locally. But the single player and the local uh, multiplayer is absolutely sublime. It plays like Smash. And I absolutely love it. The only problem is I made a mistake in that I've got it on Switch. Because I don't need it on Switch. Because Smash Brothers exists on Switch. This is perfect for Xbox, PlayStation, PC... 
on any of those systems because you don't have Smash officially right. getting those on there. That is my only mistake that I've got it on Switch where I've already got Smash. Not as good as Smash, but still a brilliant alternative. I reckon better than Brawlhalla, personally, which is the uh, the big alternative to Smash that everyone swears by. These guys have done this on a shoestring budget by the looks of it. I'm hoping it does well for them. It's getting positive reviews absolutely everywhere across the board. Give them some money. Get the voice actors in. Turn this into something special. Um, add who's missing. See what you can pull in from. Get them all in there. This I, I honestly cannot believe how good this has turned out to be. Oh, excellent. Yeah. No, I unfortunately can't say a lot about it because I really don't like Smash Brothers. Like, I, no, that's fine. Yeah, if you don't like Smash Brothers, you're not going to like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, I played it at my mate Mike's house, uh, the, the very first game. Was that on the... GameCube? No, it was on the N64. N64, yeah. Yes. Um, oh, God, yeah, what, 20 years ago? And he was like, oh, there's this thing, and it's like, you can have four players, and it's like totally mental, and there's loads of moves. I was like, that sounds great. And then I played it, I was like, oh, man, this is garbage. Oh, I hate this game. And I think that's still the same today with a lot of people, isn't it? You either You either like it and click with it, or you just think it's like, it's a knockout, but with complete, you know, Dumbasses. Yeah. Yeah, but if you've ever wanted um, Ren and Stimpy to kick Tommy from Rugrat's arse, you can do that. Yeah, well, that's a good pull, you see. Uh... Yeah. Again, it's just, it's it's crazy. I mean, again, some of the emissions, I, I reckon they're going to be there. I, this is going to be supported. I think this is going to have blown up more than the developers or publishers or even Nickelodeon if, they're, if they've wanted this to be made. Whoever's behind this, I think this is going to blow up more than they ever dreamed it would. Yeah. I reckon, I reckon I expect this to be a, like a, around for a few weeks, get a few copies sold and well done, got a license going, but I think this is going to have longevity to it. It is that good. Yeah, I think if it if it works, it's, it's, it's a really hard one to do because it's got to work on a technical level and it's got to have characters that you actually want to see fight each other. And, you know, Nintendo have got that completely up the wazoo, yeah. totally sorted out, and Nickelodeon clearly have as well because, like, you know, I don't really, I don't really watch any of that stuff anymore, and uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that it isn't good because it is, but like every character you mentioned, bar like one, I think I I knew. So the brand recognition's massively high, and they've they've done the clever thing of going back as well, making sure that the older characters are represented. Yes, so you get like the the mums and the dads, you know, buying into it, and yeah. like I can immediately tell, like uh, talking to Mike again, <laughs> Mike's wife Shell will probably want to play it because it'll reminder of her childhood and you know it's just yeah yeah and the kids all love it so yeah yeah there's no as yet there's none of the live action characters in it so there's no keenan and kill there's no clarissa um so you can (laughs) add those into it at some point which should could be interesting if they get the licenses Uh, an orange soda based level a good burger based level who knows spread out into i think this is all from like nickelodeon tv but you've got nickelodeon films as well and like so so you could if this does grow you've got so much to pull from i forgot just how big a deal nickelodeon is yeah from like early 90s to now i forgot how big a deal it actually was and i'm willing to bet disney are looking at this i'm willing to bet cartoon network and the likes are looking at this and they are going "Mm, okay then let's go for it yeah so yeah um 
give it a go. 40 quid uh, might seem a bit steep, but honestly, I think it's worth it. Uh, so, anything else from you, Stu? Uh, I've been playing a few little bits and pieces, but nothing worth talking on. I, I, I'll mention now that I started Scarlet Nexus, but then Metroid Dread got in the way. Uh, we, but that's one that I really want to kind of crack on with and give a go. Like My early impressions of it are not great, but I have a feeling that that's more because I need to learn how it actually works properly before I make any judgment. But, um, yeah. Is that a- the, the non-platinum, platinum style game yeah. anime thing? Yeah, that's the one. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've not played that either yet. That was on my list to buy. So the fact that it's on, you know, uh, that's one of those, you know, the other week I was saying about, oh, it, it pays for itself, uh, Game Pass, because there will be a time when I just cane a load of them. Yeah. And we're at that stage now where there's just too many games on there that I want to play. So there's like, God, what is there? It's like, is it called Mighty Goose, uh, which is a shooter, uh, run and gun. And yeah. Scarlet Nexus and, yeah, there's a few others as well. And then, yeah, I've got thoughts are on the way. So yeah, no, some good stuff, but nothing else to go into a review style thing on. So I've been playing a game that is going to be my game of the year for the fifth year of running. <laughs> oh my God, what could that be? Well, I don't know if you've heard, it's a, it's, a, it's a little puzzle game. I don't go on about it too often, unfortunately. So, you know, it's, but it's called Tetris. Tetris. Tetris, yeah, Tetris. Oh, no. Came out 1990 oh, yeah. originally um, on a on a system called a Game Boy or a Nintendo Entertainment System, depending on which you might have got first. Mm. Um, and there's been different variations throughout the years. You know, you might have heard about it on that documentary about Tetris's license in hell. Um, not a very well known game or anything, um, but anyway. Yeah, I've been playing Tetris Effect Connected on the Switch because Tetris has come home again. Right. Because, yeah, Tetris should be on a handheld. Um, And this is Tetris Effect Connected on the Switch and it loses absolutely nothing. My big worry with this, when I heard it announced, or after I came down from the ceiling and cleaned up um, my, my liquids... Shall, shall we speak, say my Randy liquids? Oh, no. No, no, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> my Randy Marsh liquids um, was uh, how would this actually perform on the Switch? And, you know, is there a reason why the Switch wasn't initially one of the main the main uh, components of this being released? Um, but, yeah, just it's Tetris Effect. The connected version on Switch has full cross-play um, and everything. Um, now, I would usually go, oh, it needs it needs progression. It needs cross-progression on it as well. So you've got shared leader. I don't care. It's Tetris. I'll go again. Well, I've got to beat my score from the Xbox. I'll go and do that. And beat my score from the PlayStation version. Yeah, I've got notes of that and I'll go and do that. That doesn't bother me one iota. And I, I, one of the things I did, it was compare... I'm visually impaired still at the moment, and I'll come to my one major issue with this, actually, that I, I do hope they sort. But I'm visually impaired with this at the moment, and I thought, right, let's see how I'm doing speed-wise. So I went on to sprint, and I've clocked in a time of 2 minutes 3, um, which is about 25 to 30 seconds slower than my best ever sprint time on Puyo Puyo Tetris. But only about... 
five to six seconds slower than my best sprint time on Tetris Effect on the PS4, um, which I've only ever played on a bigger screen. So this is also wild visually impaired. So for me, having it handheld is just the best place for Tetris Effect, for any Tetris game, having it handheld. And yeah, I've been sort of like, I've been through the journey mode, given uh, once through A's and S's where that is on ranks. I've played all the various side modes already and got like my starting base scores on there. And I'll go back through each of those individually and improve um, a little bit of the, the online stuff cross play between switch and PC and also a cross play between switch and Xbox you wouldn't know you was playing someone on a different system. It's all very seamless, works online perfectly. The only issue I've got is when you go into the zone mode in Journey, it gets too bright for me. Um, so I can't work out where I'm putting certain pieces, um, which then in turn means I'm not getting the best scores in the zone bonus, which means I can't, as it stands cannot go for the double s ranks on 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 journey mode properly so i'd like an option in there to be able to completely turn off zone mode effects so it doesn't have any of those really bright lighted effects just on an accessibility point of view um but i know in that i am probably a very niche audience for that side of it because it okay, it doesn't bother me in a way because I'm still playing the hell out of it and I don't care, but it would be nice to have that accessibility options. It's got all the other accessibility options in there, uh, so you can zoom in and out of the play field uh, with the left stick, which is really good. You can tilt it, which is really weird because I know somebody who plays it and they tilt their play field a bit and it really helps them see where things are going. Even though it's not 3D, it just really helps them understand it a bit better don't know why but it does that's in there you can lock accidental diagonal presses so you don't accidentally do hard drops and stuff like that got all those in there but just that being able to turn off some of the effects would be nice but aside from that game of the year 2018 2019 2020 2021 yeah every year that there is really and uh yeah i don't think that you're wrong to complain about that at all about the accessibility because until you start representing for the minority, they they never they can never be introduced into a particular you know aspect of life and fun yeah. that's that's there. And um, it also it's visibility, isn't it? It kind of like you're like, oh well, okay. So the number of people playing the game who have this visual impairment might be really low, and therefore you're catering to a small audience. Mm. But the thing is, is like they might be your primary audience. You know, you don't know because you've never put it in there. So you put well, it in. I am their primary audience, oh, so you know. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's it's so important. It's so important to get that stuff in there. And I think you have to be a bit of a moron to go. Oh well, if it doesn't affect me, then I don't care. You know. Yeah. It, it you should be caring about these things because it just it's that rising tide raises all ships kind of thing. You know, every everyone benefits because you, once you've got that visibility of doing something for for everybody, then. They then you start spotting problems in the way that you're presenting your game and you improve them and it, everybody wins. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, if they want to get someone who can help them do that as well, I'm going to shout out. I was hoping to play his game or this game on the Switch by now and talk about it, but hopefully maybe next week that'll be done and I'll get my code for it. But you've played Ecstasy, I believe, Stu? No, no, I've not yet. 
No, you've not played it. I've played it. No, Mixalumi is the one you've played. I have, yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. So, like, the, the, uh, Jim, who's the creator of Ecstasy, is doing a Switch version of it. But he's also, in that time, been working out a way to make Ecstasy accessible for those without vision. Not just visually impaired, without vision. Right, yeah. So, if he nails that with Ecstasy, then... I'd love to see someone like Enhance get him on ball to go, right, make that work with Tetris. That would be amazing. Um, yeah, because Ecstasy is almost Tetris effect if you took Tetris and, um, and actually made it mix with Lumines with all the, the beats, the music and everything that goes with it. Yeah, I um I had a play of a song. Well, no, it was just like a test track using my sony headphones that uses their 3d audio yeah um and it's absolutely phenomenal and like unfortunately you have to you have to like buy into certain ecosystems to be able to hear stuff in that but it was it worked so well like it it, you really felt that it was like full 360 audio in your headphones and it's like you could entirely and without any problem create a game based around that you know because of that yeah precision and specificity and you could completely lock it in with the analog sticks it, it you could map it that well um so there's a huge field there there really is and yeah. the, the sorts of games that i would play you know with no current visual impairments i'm short-sighted but you know i would seek them out to play as well um uh, but yeah there would be incredible for people with with sight issues um, and it's all there. It's all there in the future. I reckon it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I reckon. I mean, I would turn around and go, you know, well, you know, what can Tetris actually even do next? But, you know, over the past half a decade, we've gone from mixing it with Puyo Puyo to making a Battle Royale to the, a game that is just pure spiritual joy. Yeah. And such is my love for Tetris. I completely forgot to do my comedic intro, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna go through what my, my intro to this was gonna be. Please do. So I was gonna intro and go, I've been playing a game that I started I got my switch, put my headphones on, plugged my headphones in, started the game and next thing I knew, I'd woke up in a Turkish prison with a big guy called Hakan with his arms wrapped around me. I do not know what happened in that time. All I know is I was spiritually taken away by Tetris and woke up in a Turkish prison. Very good. Uh, because I, you lose yourself. You absolutely, time goes away um, when you play Tetris. Um, and I, I, you, people who know me know how much I love the game. People who don't know me get probably get an idea of how much I love that game from the start to now, all versions of it, apart from the crappy Ubisoft version. because Not just because it's Ubisoft, just because they somehow broke tetris and made tetris that had lag <laughs> yeah jeez uh very cool so yes it's one that's on my list i'll definitely be getting it and i just it'll probably be directly after prime uh, prime what am i on about dread <laughs> i also think you've got the only version that i don't own which is the oculus version i want to say yes yeah the steam version's yes. got the vr ability mm. so Yes, yeah, so I can do VR if I do get a VR headset, but I think I got originally a go for the Oculus and I went, oh, I can't do that, and I think I gave that to you. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, that's the only version I don't own of Tetris Effect. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you'll be pleased to hear that it's a Steam version. You don't have to be on the Oculus store to, to play it. So 
Yes. Yeah. Because nobody wants to get into the Facebook ecosystem, let's face it. No, no. Tetris, I'm, I'm just looking at my library now. Tetris Effect connected, VR supported. So uh, at some point, I'll get back into VR with Tetris. Awesome. And never leave. Why would you? Definitely. Right, no fancy transition to the next subject. So... I'm going to hand over to you because um, uh, for me, I've got little experience with this and I'll, I'll chime in a couple of times and I suppose we're going to talk a bit about cancer, which will have a bit of a, a trigger warning around it, I suppose. So but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to hand over to you. We talk unfortunately about the uh, serious, but I think much needed to talk about thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like any any topic of such seriousness, it's uh, it, it, it impacts your mental health, and yeah. um, there's been two huge ones this year that impacting. So one was indirect in a way, still direct, and one was very direct. So yeah, my father-in-law had cancer, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast, and it luckily. For, very fortunately it's been well treated and um it looks like it's gone away and obviously with cancer it has to be a check every every while but you know that's good uh but more recently my cousin got diagnosed with cancer and that sounds like it's you know that he's very very ill um and like you know none of this is, is news to most people it's one of those things that you kind of as you go through life you brush up against it because it's so prevalent and the survival rates and the treatments are so much better than they used to be, which is, you know, really, really good. But there's that horrible thing of it still feels like a living death sentence sometimes. Yeah. Even though it isn't these days. But, you know, there's that instinctual fear of it and that horror of your body taking against you and and destroying yourself from the inside and you know it's just a horrible thing to contemplate and my wife had to go through the whole thing of once they had the discovery of you know kind of going part way down the road of grief because I don't think it's possible to hear a diagnosis of cancer no matter what it is which stage where it's presenting, which organs it are affected, whether it's got lymph node involvement, whether it's metastasized. I don't think you can hear any of it without kind of being immediately concerned for for that person's life. And that's a really strange thing to do, you know? It, we kind of know so much about it and so little at the same time. It takes us down this road of starting off the grieving process in a way. And, and my wife was inconsolable for for several days to a week, you know, um, even with the di- diagnosis. In fact, after the diagnosis and when and before it was kind of cleared up, she was okay. She was, you know, dealing with it and upset, but, you know, okay. And then when it was revealed that her dad was okay, that's when she sort of broke down. Mm. And she was just crying nonstop for about three days. And... It's because, you know, she started down that road of grief and it, it, it sort of happened to me in a way with with the news about my cousin. And of course, if you know, if any of their family are listening to this, you know, it's, it's highly unlikely, but, you know, it's it's not meant to imply that you've written somebody off, 
but you emotionally you just start that process and there's nothing that you can do about it in my opinion it's not a kind of logical factual based thing where you can wrap your hands around it and go no I'm not gonna have these feelings or thoughts it's just something that's kicking in in your subconscious and running through it and running with it and you know I've had serious grief in my life in the past and I know how it feels and it it's definitely the same route it's definitely on the same track Uh, there are very few emotions in life that have their own almost like taste and smell and you know love is one of them and you know hate to a certain degree and joy and, and things like this but grief has its own its own distinct feeling and you know there are parts of it in there so you're kind of going through this grieving process even though they are still alive and maybe completely fine and that's really really hard and part of you know part of it is the the feelings that you have for their direct family and how they're involved and you know you you feel how much they must be getting crushed by by these feelings as well and the empathy that you have for them is just immense yeah because you know the pain they must be going through or you can get like a shadow like a, a or a reflection of it you know so that you get this rough idea of the the size and the shape of of what they're feeling and it's a hideous thing and i think that's one of the reasons why it's always unlike the ailments that that people get whether it's you know heart disease or whether it's covid it's not the same it's not, it's a completely different thing on its own and very very difficult to incorporate into your life without it making a a big change to it and yeah so it's been very hard i mean i think it wouldn't be so hard if we weren't going through such a a difficult time at the moment with everything in this country that's going on in the uk Mm. which is particularly rough at the moment and but yeah even without that very very difficult and it's definitely one of those things that it does feel better to be able to talk about with people yeah no 100 percent um and i say i've not had loads of experience with with cancer thankfully i've had i've had some with with family members um my partner's father died of 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 cancer and that was that was horrible um trying to be there for her and feeling useless at times with it um and when my nan passed away or, or got cancer i was fine for the most part it's like my nan she's a fighter she'd had breast cancer previously she had a different cancer where she had to they ended up having to lose her nose she she made jokes of it and stuff like that as well and um it was all fine with it because my nan will fight she'll be my nan and stuff like that um, until the one day I called her about two days before she passed away and I called her up and said like hi Nan how are you she didn't know who I was the, like a confusion had hit and she didn't have a clue who I was yeah and told me to get off the phone because she was waiting for a phone call from her grandson which was me and I was like no it is me now she went no 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 I'm waiting for my grandson and like that that really hit me um, I got really upset that time and then not again until like until the day of her funeral and stuff like that but what you what I, I tend to find as well when you have that you you're speaking about the different flavors almost that different feelings have like love is one of them and that's a when you get when you when you're in love you don't want to lose that feeling 
when you suffer with grief, you want nothing more. You're trying to fight grief away. And then when you have those moments where you are free of grief, even if it's only a short moment, guilt comes into it. Then that's when guilt yeah. really does come into it. And then yeah. you feel you grieve all over again because you can't show that feeling of I'm wrong to be happy or laugh at something uh, and things like that. So it's, it's with something like cancer, it's not just so like X person has died and then you grieve. You're actually grieving on and off possibly for months, if not years. And it, it's, it is such a horrible, horrible one to deal with. And, with other situations where you get where you're in limbo with it, where you just don't know which way it's going to go, and so you you feel useless in what you can actually say to somebody at the same time. Yeah, you do, you do. Yeah, there's there's no words for it really. You know, it's it mm. it can't be contained or contextualized properly. You know, it's kind of like it's it's like love. It, it's a different state of mind. You know, grief is. It's like it colors everything else, and all of your reactions to it. And, you know, some of them not just in negative ways. Some of them, you know, can can bring positives about as well. And I think, you know, people don't, don't like to hear that kind of thing because it doesn't it doesn't fit with the, the way that they narrate their lives sometimes. And, and, yeah, it's definitely there, though, you know. Um, there are feelings of relief when people pass away and that strain is no longer there for people, um, you know these things are part of human life and it's always better to acknowledge them yeah. than it is not and I think you know talking talking through grief is, is very is very important but it's very notable that the the, the charities that deal with grief uh, they they most of them don't start dealing with loss as a component of grief mm. until around a year after the loss itself and that's because of the brain chemistry change. It's because of what changes and the fact that you are not making decisions or operating in, in a way that you would normally. And you're not reacting to things out of, you know, sadness, you know, unhappiness, fear, depression, any of those things. You're acting out of grief. Yeah. And grief is a different state of mind. And they they want to check that you are not in that, state before they can deal with the loss and how you should recreate a new life out of it um and that really just speaks to to how big a deal it is and how important it is to talk you know to people about it when you're going through it and and i think you know i always extol the virtues of talking about stuff but i mean but you know being honest about how you feel so saying when you feel relieved or saying when you feel happy or saying how it impacts you when obviously you know the focus is most often on the person who's ill so yeah it's just having that that wider conversation to make sure that all the people in the person's life who is directly impacted or can can get through it as well and that's not a me doing a a woe is me kind of a thing i'm the one impacted here uh but it is recognizing that more more people get hurt than you could could really recognize or, or possibly imagine yeah. without being through it so yeah yeah, I mean, I could ramble on for a long time, but yeah. Obviously. No, and without going into any detail whatsoever, you know, we're seeing at the moment the impact it has on people surrounding the actual person who's suffering. Um, and, yeah. you know, again, from the mental health point of view, is 
if you're someone, if you you know somebody's going through it, just in any way, shape, or form, be there. It hasn't got to be. You haven't got to offer advice or anything like that. Sometimes, again, it, it's almost cliche. Just being an ear. Or a, or a vacuum or a space for someone to rant into, <laughs> scream at if they need to. Um, you know that anything they say is not meant at you. It's not directed at you. It's like they need a place. Just be there for them. Be that vacuum for them to be able to scream into or shout at. And if they then turn around and go, actually, can you help me with this? Or can you do this for me? If you can, be there. Offer what what you can. But it's... um. Again, as I said, you said before, Stu, with the Samaritans, um, they will take almost anything that's thrown at them, which I think is an amazing service that's done. But again, I know people still don't feel comfortable going to the Samaritans and they would rather speak to a friend but feel uncomfortable launching upon them like that. So if you feel that you are almost strong enough to be able to take it, just, just let people know or even steer the conversation that way without without saying to someone outright oh I need you to tell me about this but you, you will pick up the signs it, it's a tough one to explain in a way but you will pick up the signs and you can just be there for people and as cliche as that is that is the most important thing yes it absolutely is yeah people know the kind of the practical side of what to do and in fact everybody knows will know from their own experience but when bad things are happening it's often the kind of mundane humdrum got to fill in this form thing that is actually okay because it takes you away. Yeah. It gives you a purpose. So people are often fine with that and what they're lacking is the actual conversation side of things. Or like you say, just knowing that people are there and available for that conversation. Yeah. Or if you need to ask them for something practical as assistance, like a lift or, you know, some shopping door. I mean, you know, just having the, the, that ability to people to run around for you and you know that they yeah. you know that they have no issue with that just having that in the background is is a great thing and but you'll never know that unless you have that connection with them so yeah yeah talking is vastly important yeah and I, I don't want to use this as an excuse to plug what we have or anything like that because it feels a bit crass to do so but i have found it with the use of like our discord server that we've got has been wonderful for me in the past and Again, we are seeing sort of like people use it where they need to. Again, just as a, a place to almost peek into a mirror in a way, you know, just at least see what they're saying. I think having that ability to write it down as well allows you to see, again, what you're putting. So, again, services that like are out there that aren't also always immediately obvious, communities you're part of are all worthwhile. They're all People will pull themselves together for you and help exactly where they can. Um, so don't if you feel shut off because you can't speak to people in real life, um, I hate that term actually, splitting it into real life. Um, we'll go we'll go about that another day. Use online. It's not it's not as dangerous as what it, it was always made out to be. People are there and they will listen. Sometimes a stranger or a relative stranger can be the best person to, to have to talk to. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree because... You can have a a combination of having passionate care about somebody, but being dispassionate about what needs to be done. Yeah. Because you're close enough to care about them uh, just in a kind of general sense, but you're not so close that it's also hurting you to the point where you you can't 
be active. Yeah. And I think that kind of, it's almost a, like a liminal space of people. It's like, it's not the people who who are directly around you and therefore could either get used up too much or too quickly or people are too far away and don't give a monkeys. It's that right level of distance. It's like a community, like an old-fashioned, you know, village or town when people, you know, you know, were part of that community. And yeah. it, that online community side of things is, is really beneficial for that. So, yeah, people should definitely use it. Yeah, and you have people that are spread around as well. So, you know, me and Lorraine have discussed it, sort of like if like anyone needed help and they were sort of like up towards the north or anything like that, isn't so much as oh, we can be there in an instant to do it. But if they found something they needed, for example, I don't know, say, say they needed something as silly as oh, they've seen some clothing they really like, but it's down south, but it'll make them feel better we can pick it up for them and send it and stuff like that because you've got people around the country who will be willing to help out. Um, and again, I know that's probably the most basic version of it, but I couldn't think without making it sound sort of like too over the top or sort of like too specific. But, you know, anything like that, people yeah. will, will help. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's one of the best things about, you know, a distributed community and it's something that's, it's not new to the world, but it's certainly a hell of a lot easier since the internet and a, de- a definite real upside to it. So, yeah, no, I, I, I can't praise that side of things enough that, you know, the things we've seen recently with other people in our circle who have had issues with cancer in their lives and the the incredibly positive response yes. and helpful response you know by being supportive but also being practical has been has been wonderful and you know should never be diminished no no 100% so I don't want to finish on that. I don't want to dismiss that whole chat either. So sorry if this is a bit of a harsh cutaway, but like to, where possible, end on something a bit more positive. Um, And what's more positive than COVID? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yes. So I just, yeah, I wasn't going to talk about this at all, but it's like it happened in the last day or two. Um, But my household has COVID. There's four of us and three of us have COVID. Um, I'm the only one that's negative at the moment so we've got the whole family's having to rely on the blind one to go and do stuff <laughs> uh, it is really uh, Lorraine's got Covid uh, well we first found out Lucas had Covid he'd done a test because a friend at school had it and he, he took the test and he got it Edith looked like she had a cold so we tested her she's got it Low took done a test she's got it I, I'm negative and it's one of the things that's really weird and that I've noticed is considering it's meant to be over, some people would have you believe. I'm seeing a lot more cases now than I was the previous 18 months in my own personal circles. Yes, yeah, definitely, yeah. Del- the schools del- are rife. Mm. Mm. The schools are absolutely rife with it. And I honestly think the reason the numbers are supposedly down are in terms of cases, I think, because there's a lot of people not testing like they was before as well. Yeah, I've been guilty of it, not testing as much. Because, again, as much as I know it's not over, you kind of keep getting that impression of, oh, it's not as important now. It's not. You do fall for it, even as someone who is cynical about it all. Um, but, yeah, um, just to point out, I had to go shopping yesterday to get some food in for a few days. So I, I hope yeah, the family are eating dried cat food and melted marshmallows because I thought that was cereal. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, but I, I had to do the shopping and I managed to lose my glasses while I was shopping. I was having to keep calling Lorraine every five minutes to go, is this the thing we want? Because I can't actually read what the labels are. Um, I think oh, it's something to do with the lighting in supermarkets. It's only really bad when I go into like Tesco's or Asda or something like that. The, the lighting makes my vision go worse. Yeah. So you think they'd want you to have better vision and have better lighting for that. So you actually want to buy the stuff. I know. I know. It's hideous. But yeah, it seems to really, really affect me. But yeah, we, we've got COVID in the... Well, they're locked down for going to look like at least another 10 days after the results come back, unless anything goes negative. And touch wood, as it stands at the moment, I'm negative, uh, but still blind. So COVID probably popped in here, had a look and gone, yeah, he's suffering enough, mate. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll leave him be. <laughs> oh, if only life was that kind. <laughs> yeah. I am yeah, very glad, I'm very glad you haven't got it. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, um, but double vaccinated as well. Both me and Lo both got it. Lucas was going to get his vaccination next month, so he's now got to wait because you can't get. Yeah, you got to wait ninety days after being clear before you can get the vaccine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he wanted it, but he's now got to wait. So okay, you win, anti-vaxxers, you win. <laughs> no, god damn it, I'll never win. No, but it's like sort of like going like. Obviously, I know you're always at risk anyway, even if you are vaccinated. It's the same as you can get the flu after flu jabs, possibly. You know, it's not yeah. a total. Yeah. End, but it, I, I've seen other people who have, like, well, obviously, they've been double vaccinated and they've got it. And then you see a sort of like the anti vaxxers going, see, it's pointless. It's useless. It's yeah, not. No. no. It's not because it would be a lot worse. I dare say, sort of like, if me or Lorraine got it at the moment and we wasn't vaccinated, there could well be hospital involved. Yeah. Um, definitely get vaccinated people yep get vaccinated because then you can sit at home and play tetris yeah and as we described it's it's just the best thing it's the best thing ever and probably always will be yes and again to prove time isn't linear the last 18 months have taken place over what feels like about 10 years so there you go i know your witness bizarre (laughs) yeah but i won't do a long outro this week so yeah if any of these things have affected you yeah, go on to the Discord to chat if you like it. that will hopefully help for you and you know we're everywhere we're all on the socials just look us up there and in the meantime have a good week stay safe and stay sane